You're listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May you be challenged and encouraged by this message. Having the affections of your heart stirred towards greater love and understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami. If you grew up as a child in the church, perhaps maybe not in the church, but maybe attending a say, summer vacation Bible school of a church, years ago you maybe were introduced to the song, Father Abraham. There are different variations of the song, but the lyrics commonly go as follows. Father Abraham had many sons. You're trying to sing along, I know. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then the instructions, verse after verse, get added. Right arm, left arm, right foot, left foot, chin up, turn around, sit down. Kids love it. Sing along to it. They march around because of it. It was Pierre Carter who wrote this song. It was a Dutch musician and a singer and songwriter. He actually performed the song himself under the title, under the name that he took on, Father Abraham. He wrote 1,600 songs in his career, including Father Abraham. He was born in 1935 and actually just passed away last year on November 8th. This song that he wrote declares such incredible truth. This old Dutch man who wrote this popular children's song, sung everywhere from countless vacation Bible schools to actually making it on an episode of the TV show Mad Men, where there's a scene where the child recreates it and gets his parents to sing along to it. Even this morning sitting here in this church building on Easter morning, What does it have to do? What does it have to say? What's its point? Is it really that important even today? The answer is an undeniable yes. For the point from this morning from the Apostle Paul that we're going to see is very much found in the book of Galatians about Father Abraham. If you're new to joining us at Grace Church, I want to encourage you to know that it's our practice each and every Sunday to be in a book of the Bible. This morning, we're in Galatians chapter 3. This is where we have been. It's where we are this morning. It's where we're going to continue to be. If you don't have a Bible, just know that you're welcome to listen in. So much of it will be on the screens, but others of it will be looking out with our own copies. And if you don't have a copy, copies are made available to you for free at the lobby at the Welcome Center. It's there for you for free. We would love to make sure you have a copy of the Bible that you can read and is accurate and understandable. Galatians chapter 3 is where we are finding this theme of Father Abraham. You notice the title of this morning's sermon is, Father Abraham has many sons, are you one? The text that we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 3 is really where we have been up to these last couple of weeks together. In Galatians chapter 1 and 2, Paul the writer, speaking to these churches in the southern part of Galatia, kind of over in the, in the Mediterranean area at this time, 2,000 years ago, he is writing to them as young Christians because he's concerned. 
people have come into the church since he has left and gone on to plant other churches, and it started to cause them to doubt the sufficiency of Jesus alone as being enough for salvation. He spends the first two chapters teaching this lesson, and then he comes into chapter 3. In chapter 3, he kind of reminds them even of their own story, and so he transitions from his autobiography of Galatians 1 and 2 to this theology in Galatians chapter 3. That's exactly where we are this morning. Now, for years, decades really, first on the radio and then on TV, we would often hear the following statement, and now, a word from our sponsor. And that was really before you had commercial breaks of many sponsors, with many TV ads, you would just have one. And a word from the sponsor would be the introduction of some companies that had sponsored that television show. They would give an advertisement. They would give an endorsement. They were covering what was being said. They were sort of paying the bills. Well, what you have here in Galatians chapter 3 is essentially Paul saying that, except he says it sort of in a different way. He is saying, and now a word from the Old Testament. Uh, to be more exact, uh, in the wording of a Jewish writer, which Paul was, he would basically be saying, and now a word from the Torah. He's saying, you know who sponsors this message that I'm giving you, that I'm delivering to you? Abraham. So if you would, Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 7, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Here's sort of the main point of these four verses, so you don't get lost in where we're about to be together for a few minutes together. The main point of what Paul is teaching in these four verses is the following. All Christians are children of Abraham. All Christians are children of Abraham. And there's really sort of two lessons we're going to learn this morning in Galatians. The first lesson is God gives credit before any works by you have been done. God gives credit before any works by you have been done. You go back to verse 6 and understand, Paul is in the middle of a conversation with the Galatians. It started off in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Again, verse 3, are you so foolish? And he continually asks them these series of questions to sort of point out what with any ounce of perception would be obviously and easily answered by them. And then he kind of takes the conversation into a turn from what is logically obvious to now what can be historically proven by bringing up the person of Abraham, how Abraham was saved. Friends, Jewish tradition at that time, and even for many today in today's time, Jewish tradition would emphasize Abraham's obedience certainly more than and above any faith that he had. But Paul says this distorts what really actually happened. Abraham was justified. He was declared righteous. He was forgiven. He was declared a, being loved by God by faith. It's by what he believed, 
not by what he first did. Now, just to give you a sense of the scene of what's happening in the text, for those of you who are very new, like, I feel like I'm listening in on the conversation that's already taking place. Where are we at in this text? Okay, so just again, to give you a sense of bearings, like you're walking into a mall and you're like, okay, where am I in relationship to this gigantic mall? Where am I in relationship to this big book of Galatians? What's happening here? What's happening is that the Judaizers, that's a nickname for these people that are basically saying to these new Christians, hey, you, by faith in Christ, you're, you cannot simply believe in faith alone is enough for God to accept you. You, if you really want to be loved by God, and trust me, we know, we know God. We're Jewish. We know the Bible. We know the Torah. We know it, in fact, better than you do. We were taught it from kids, and you never were. You never went to vacation Bible school or anything like that. Well, we want to tell you that in Genesis chapter 17, and they're really citing a real passage in Genesis 17, that the way that God shows His affirmation of people's following Him is through their circumcision. So they're saying to these Gentile new Christians, these non-Jewish Christians, hey, if you want to be accepted by God, you have no confidence you are going to be accepted unless you obey the law, unless you keep the law, specifically being circumcised. Genesis 17, and Paul's like, you want to go Genesis? All right, I'll go Genesis. You want Genesis 17? He's like, all right. He raises his hand, essentially. Let's go back. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's do that. You want Genesis? We'll go there. Let's go back to Genesis 12, he says. Genesis 12 is where this conversation even begins with Abraham, at that time known as Abram and God. Look at the text, if you will, on the screen. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whom who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That sounds like he won the lottery. You got to understand, this is a fairly old man at this time in Genesis 12 who God is like, listen, I want you to leave your land, leave your people. I want you to go to another place, to another land, and I'm going to make you and your wife, right now who have no kids and no land, I'm going to make you a great nation. Genesis 12. And what's citing here in, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 is a reference to actually Genesis 15. It's very important has everything to do with what we learned this morning. In Genesis 15, Abraham with no land yet, let alone without any children yet, listen to what is said between God and Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6. We have it again for you on the screen. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars, and if you are able to number them, Then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And he, being Abraham, believed the Lord. And he, being God, counted it to him, Abraham, as righteousness. Paul's essentially telling the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, do not listen to the Judaizers. They are distorting the Bible. They're trying to quote you Genesis 17. He's like, I'm trying to tell you what God did in Genesis 15. He made a promise to Abraham, and before Abraham did anything, he believed God. And as it says in the text, he believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. 
The text is saying that God is treating Abraham as if he were living a righteous life, but he had not even lived the life yet. He had not even had the commands from God of what to do yet. He simply believed God. One writer says, to be sure, faith, when genuine, issues in righteous deeds, but that is not what the text tells us. Faith counts for instead of righteousness. In other words, it is therefore natural and right for the New Testament writers, Paul, to refer to this text in describing how salvation is possible. Friends, you're like, why do I care sitting here in Miami in 2023 about an Old Testament text if most of us are not even Jewish? How does this apply to me? Because it is just as appropriate that you and I learn this lesson today. God will not and has never accepted anybody because of what they do. Your good works, no matter how good they are, no matter how biblical they might point to in the text, your good works will never save you. Only faith in Christ will save you. It's not faith that saves. It's Christ who saves and your faith in Christ. What's happening here in the text, you might say, well, that, that seemed like a stretch. Who saved Abraham? Well, look back in Galatians chapter 3. He answers the question. Jump ahead to verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Abraham believed that God would keep his word and provide for him. And all he had done was believe God. Friends, if you are putting your hope in anything other than faith in God and the work and the death and the resurrection of his son and hope in anything other than that, then you are misguided at best, distorted and lied to at worst, and believing that God will accept you for any other reason. This has been true from the very beginning of time. God is justice and righteousness, but He's also loving and merciful and gracious. The second lesson that Paul wants to teach the Galatians is an important lesson for us today as well. If the first lesson is God gives credit before He works by you, by anybody works you have done, the second lesson you can really say here in the text in verses 7 to 9 is, hey, like father, like son. If verse 6 is how Abraham was saved, then verses 7 to 9 is dealing with how we are saved. Well, look at the text again in verse 7. Paul says, Knowing, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Friends, what's so remarkable here is that he's not simply telling a biography of Abraham's life, He's inviting them into reality to write their own autobiography of their life. That they are related to Abraham if, like Abraham, they also put their faith where Abraham has put his faith. 
and the one that God would provide, Jesus Christ, God's Son. Abraham and his spiritual descendants, both Jews and Gentiles, have all been declared righteous through faith. This is in harmony with all of Scripture, that all the nations will be blessed. The Bible, all the way back in Genesis, is anticipating the salvation of the world. And, and friends, sitting here today, you are a visual illustration of that. It isn't like only Christians are the Jewish people. God uses historically the Jewish people through Jesus Himself, who was Jewish, to bring salvation to all the world, that all who would believe in Christ would be by relationship through faith with Abraham. It's profoundly important to recognize this. And the Apostle Paul sort of concludes this phrase of his argument in verse 9 by stating that this provision was made for all nations, those with faith. They received the blessing of justification. Go back to verse 6. It makes this statement here, believe God, and it was credited to Him as righteousness. Friends, righteousness is this kind of this accounting term, this belief, like you have all the credit. You were once bankrupt. You didn't just have no money. You actually had a great debt. You were in great debt to God because of your sin. You might not feel that way, but because you don't feel that way does not mean it's true. Somebody can look and kind of live in denial of their personal finances. Perhaps some of you are like that this morning. You're like, how do I know I'm doing okay financially? I don't. I just don't look at it. I just apply for another credit card. And then when that one gets maxed out, I just apply for another credit card. And lo and behold, I keep getting another credit card. You're like, I can tell you why. Because you will become a slave to that lender for the rest of your life. And some of you are just sort of hoping, kind of ignorantly speaking and naively, that you can sort of keep spending with no consequence on that. Friends, no matter whether or not you feel like you are in debt to God, if your tally is inaccurate, and I can assure you, likely is inaccurate, there is nothing you can do to pay that debt off. There's a statistic in the reality of those who have a certain amount of credit card debt, and perhaps some of you know this by personal illustration where a company can know once they have you to a certain point, specifically speaking, they'll have you for the rest of your life because you can't catch up. But if you're in an infinite amount of debt to God, can you ever catch up? And Abraham is basically saying, you can. Not by anything you pledge to do to God, for God, but instead you can simply believe God and the provision He made of an alternative way, you're either going to be treated based on your works or Christ's works. If you want credit for your works, that will cost you an eternity. But if you want to be treated based on Christ's works, His righteousness, that can be given to you by faith alone and Christ alone because of God's grace alone. And that's not unique, he says, to the Jewish people. He's talking to non-Jewish people, primarily in this church. He's talking about all people. And he's talking about the reality of what it says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring. Again, Galatians chapter 4, verse 28, now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. Listen to the language as it comes through from Old Testament to New Testament, from what was many years before to many years later, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, 
for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. But then look at what Peter, himself Jewish, says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, to people who are not just Jewish. He says the following, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He would say to another church, a church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, remember that you were at the same time, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Same author yet again to another church of Christians, primarily which were not Jewish. He would say in Romans chapter 10, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. Friends, just as we become spiritual sons of Abraham by faith in Galatians 3, 7, so we can be considered spiritual Israel when we receive Christ. Ethnicity and politics is no regards for salvation. God can indeed extend Himself to you as He does. Some of you have perhaps seen the movie that came out in 1999, Sixth Sense. The the Sixth Sense, it was an unbelievable movie. If you've not seen it, don't bother because I'm about to give it away. The movie starts with the child psychologist, Malcolm Crowe, who returns home with his wife, Anna, after having been honored for his work. But a former patient of his, Vincent, breaks into his house, being treated for hallucinations, he breaks into their house, he accuses Malcolm of failing him before he shoots Malcolm and then himself. Months later, Malcolm begins working with another student, another child. Cole Sear. Cole is a nine-year-old boy who reminds him of Vincent. He feels he must help Cole to rectify his failure to really help Vincent and to reconcile with his wife, Anna, who he feels has become distant and cold, doesn't speak to him. Nine-year-old Cole finally confides in Malcolm, the child psychologist, that he has seen ghosts, and he sees them walking around like the living, but they only see what they want to see and are unaware of what, that they're actually dead themselves. Malcolm at first thinks Cole is delusional and considers dropping his case, but he eventually believes him, and he suggests that Cole try to communicate with the ghosts and help them finish their business, to which Cole hesitantly agrees. Towards the end of the movie, before parting ways with Malcolm, Cole suggests to Malcolm that he himself tries to speak to his own wife, Anna, while she is sleeping to communicate with her. Malcolm returns home to find Anna talking in her sleep. As she's sleeping, she's talking in her sleep to her husband, Malcolm, why he left her, much his confusion. And then she suddenly drops Malcolm's wedding ring, and he notices it's not on his finger. 
recalling what Cole told him about dead people, only seeing what they want to see and not knowing that they are dead, Malcolm finally realizes that he did not survive being shot by Vincent and has been dead this whole time working with Cole. He quickly comes to terms with his death and tells Anna that he loves her. She tells him goodnight in her sleep, indicating that she is now in peace and can move on. And with his business finally complete, Malcolm's spirit departs in a flash of light. It's a total plot twist and mind-bender. In fact, some of you remember what it was like to watch that movie and stop it and go, what just happened? As you kind of think through the whole scene, no wonder why he and Anna never talked. What Paul is doing here in Galatians chapter 3 is a total plot twist as well. The Judaizers are telling these new Galatian Christians they're not really accepted by God unless they obey the law of God, specifically get circumcised, something that non-Jewish people would have normally not done. <laughs> but Paul, in a crazy plot twist, says not only are the Judaizers wrong about Gentile Christians not being accepted by God, but the truth is the Galatians are accepted and the Judaizers are not. So it's not just they're wrong about the Galatians, it's that they're wrong about themselves. Is that a plot twist for somebody else sitting here this morning? Maybe you judge Christians and think they're wrong. But you like the movie The Sixth Sense or like a ghost who cannot realize that you're dead. Not in life, but in the words of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, dead in your trespasses and sins. And the very thing you think is not true about somebody else is actually not true about you. You don't have peace with God. You're putting your hope in something else. And only to you come to the realization of the reality of your condition can you finally accept the reality that God is calling out to you to believe in Him and only in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and in the peace that comes from doing so? Eyewitness testimony is always more compelling in court than circumstantial evidence. Circumstantial evidence is indirect evidence that does not on its face prove a fact but helps provide a logical inference that the fact exists. Eyewitness testimony, however, is the account of a bystander or a victim who actually can give in the courtroom describing what the person saw during the specific incident under investigation. I, person A, saw person B do the following, and person B is present here in this courtroom. A, per, a, a panel of jurors finds that much more compelling to believe than circumstantial evidence. Paul has brought Abraham to the witness stand for the Galatian Christians. He says, listen to Abraham, who can tell you himself firsthand, the father of the Jewish people, that before there was ever any command to be circumcised, before the law had ever been given, there was a promise that God made, and I, Abraham, believed it. And God accepted me. It's a fascinating reality if you even think about Galatians, or excuse me, Genesis, 
Because while the story is about Abraham, do you know who writes it? The first five books of the Bible are written by Moses, seemingly the other top dog in Jewish faith. Paul is basically saying, take it from Abraham, take it from Moses. This is true as it has always been true. It's a checkmate. Now, how does that connect to us today sitting here on Easter Sunday? Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 helps us again. Paul says, and Paul, an apostle, not from men, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's entire ministry of teaching, Paul's entire letter to the Galatians and everybody else thereafter was built not only on the life of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, but also the resurrection of Christ. In fact, he would say in 1 Corinthians 15, without the resurrection, it's all in vain. Christians are the most to be pitied. What are you guys doing here? Get out there and do something else. Don't be here. But if Jesus rose from the grave, then that faith is not in vain. It is not futile. The cross was not only occupied, but the tomb was empty. And all those who believe in Jesus are forgiven. Not for a little bit. Not for this next year until you re-pledge yourself back to Him and promise to do better next year. But for life forevermore, forgiven and free and given the Spirit of God to dwell inside of you as a pledge of your inheritance of eternal life to come. For those of you who perhaps come as guests this morning, this is what we do every Sunday. We preach the Bible. We were in Galatians last week. We've been in it this morning. We're going to be in it next week. And we finished Galatians. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to go to another book of the Bible. There's 66 of them. We believe it's all from God. God moved men along to write from Him His Word that we might still hear it today, and it's been preserved by His providence. But we hope you not only hear from us this morning, perhaps even having a chance to greet you and welcome you, we're glad for you to be here this morning, but we also hope that you'll come back. But here's the most important thing. We want you to have heard from God this morning. We want you to have seen it in the text yourself. Even if you never come back to this church again, we hope that you, from what you've heard this morning, you would hear that God this morning is teaching and saying what you will never forget as long as you live until the day you die. Whenever that comes, when you expect it or don't expect it, God is real. God exists. He has revealed His will to His creation, not only His Word, but also in their conscience. We know it. We feel it. We judge others based on it, a sense of right and wrong. We understand that. We know guilt and shame. We know guilt and consequence. The problem that separates us from God in that way that we cannot find our way back to Him is that the problem is not with Him, no matter how much we want to point our fingers at Him. It's with us. But the Son of God comes to us literally because we could not go to God. He became like us lived like us, except his track record is perfect, not like ours. He never did a single wrong in thought, word, or in action. Then he willingly gave up his life to be wrongly accused and eventually killed by corrupt religious and political leaders. But not just one death amongst countless that history has recorded, but one death that sits at the very center of all of human history. 
And then he did what no one who's ever died before or since has ever done. He came back to life. And he appeared to more people that are sitting in this room. His existence, physically present, was undeniable. They had to come up with conspiracies to act like it never happened. And they acknowledged this. And then he commissioned his disciples before he ascended to the right hand of the Father to go out and make disciples so that people like you and I would hear the good news of Jesus. Whether you've heard it this morning in a song, in the reading of Scripture, in the testimonies of baptism, in the reading of Galatians, we hope this morning you have heard the good news of Jesus and that you could not only claim Abraham as your spiritual father, regardless of whether or not you're Jewish, but you, perhaps for the first time today, repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, could claim God as your heavenly Father. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. God draw you nearer to Him through His Word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.